Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Michelle Jacobs, the Director of the Defense Logistic Agency's hosting office. Michelle, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jason. You are not obviously a CIO, but that's okay because you deal with technology and all the things that a lot of CIOs uh, deal with every day. So we're going to have a good conversation about the effort and, and the progress that DLA is making in, in using cloud services, application rationalization. There's so much to talk about. So let's maybe start at the beginning with the, some of the DLA's initiatives uh, to take services to the cloud. Talk a little bit about where DLA is today. DLA started this journey uh back in um, 2012, 2013, before there were really a lot of um, options um, on the commercial cloud side of the house. We initially looked internally within uh, the Department of Defense and uh, leveraged the uh, Defense Information Systems Agency's mill cloud offering. So that was our first foray into, you know, uh, leveraging cloud. As time evolved over um, a few years after that, around the 2015-16 timeframe, the Department of Defense became more involved with allowing the DOD organizations to leverage commercial cloud. And at that point, DLA started to look outside of just the uh, private offering of mill cloud and started moving more towards the um, commercial capabilities. Today, we have actually uh, leveraged um, um, private cloud with IBM, the Defense Information Systems Agency's mill cloud. We are heavily into Microsoft Azure at this time, and we're also doing um, hosting inside of the Amazon Web Services um, cloud offering. So as you can see, we have really taken full advantage of all the potential options out there in the commercial and private cloud space. Now, when you talk about IBM and Microsoft and Amazon and others, are, are these gov clouds, meaning that they're only for federal agencies, or are they the true commercial cloud where your stuff and my stuff could be mixed together, generally speaking? At this point, these are all just the approved government commercial cloud offerings because the level of data that resides in the applications that we have hosted in those locations require us to be at the uh, government approved commercial cloud offerings. If we had you know, systems that only had level two data in them, we would be able to leverage the uh, true public cloud. But for today, we only have things in the government-approved um, commercial cloud offerings. All right, so Michelle, interesting. I think I think that's a good point to bring up because a lot of people hear commercial cloud and they just assume that it's the you know commercial cloud that, that that we all use in our personal lives. I remember doing a story back in October, and DLA talked about about thirty-nine percent of all applications are hosted in the cloud. Give me an update. Are you still are you guys still at about around thirty-nine percent, or has that increased? Oh, it has definitely increased. We have really picked up the pace. I think um, when we spoke with you back in October of 18, we were just at the end of really just getting everything stabilized, you know, educating our um, program um, offices about how to move to the cloud. So to date, we're now at about 6% complete. Um, as you can see, the pace definitely picked up a lot. You know, in 16, we had only migrated two applications. We improved to 57 and 17, and then last year, we um, ended with a total of 189 application environments that we had actually migrated. And so far, uh, just in the beginning of 19, we've also completed 10 additional application um, migrations. All right, so a lot of progress. You went from 2 to 57 to 189. Now you're almost at 200. And and talk a little bit about the, the future plans. Is 2019 into 2020, what's the limit? 80% of all applications would eventually be on the cloud, 90%, all 100%. Where are you guys heading toward? In-state goal for us would be, Nirvana would be, you know, 100% in the cloud. I don't know if we're going to get there, but that is our in-state goal. I think some of the bigger systems that we are um, – 
starting to move out on are our enterprise resource planning system, the ERP system. We're actually piloting right now in Amazon Web Services with um, SAP because that's the biggest of our systems that we would have to move to the cloud. We're also refactoring code uh, from mainframe technology over to Java so that we can migrate those uh, systems to the cloud and as quickly as some of our other business systems. But our target is, you know, um, if possible, 100%, you know, of the applications um, to a cloud, either private or commercial cloud. That's incredible. I mean, you hear very few agencies saying, well, we're going to go a full 100%. And of course, that 100% includes Mill Cloud and includes other maybe DOD-related clouds. Do you get a sense of how much or what breakdown potentially could be between the government-only commercial cloud and something like Mill Cloud or some other internal DOD-type cloud? We're going to have very little in the um, the government private cloud. Today, we're leveraging um, Mill Cloud One, but even the things we have in Mill Cloud One are going to be migrated over to our enterprise environments that we've established in Microsoft Azure because it just makes sense um, from uh, overhead management, cybersecurity, you know, because even when you go to the commercial cloud, you don't want to be overextended because it stretches your cybersecurity footprint that you still have to be responsible for. So I would say at the end of the day, probably about 90% of all of our applications will be in the commercial cloud. You know, DLA is probably a little different than your services in that we don't have a lot of command and control systems. We do most of our business with the um, commercial um, vendors. And so us being in the cloud is an easier sale than, say, your um, Army, Navy, Air Force type of organizations that have major command and control systems, you know, for the war fighters that they have to support. I think that's a great point to bring up because one of the things that people lose sight of is, is DLA is, you know, your, your job many in many ways is to support DOD and its interactions with industry and to share information with industry, whether things you're buying or things you need or or the delivery schedule. A lot of that information, while sensitive, could also, but but a lot of it is is not at that highest level of sensitivities. And that's why maybe the the commercial government-only cloud makes sense. Is, is that part of your thinking? Yeah, absolutely. But I will tell you, not only are we just looking at the cloud, but we also are looking at looking at our cyber threat and we're looking at our cyberspace and we're working very closely with our um, commercial vendors to ensure that not only are we making sure that we are, you know, securing, you know, the applications that we provide to the Department of Defense, but we also want to make sure that the vendors that we, you know, procure um, products and services from, that, you know, we have confidence that they are also protecting their systems. So, you know, our cyber terrain stretches beyond just the Department of Defense. It has to go out uh, to our commercial vendors. And I think that's why when you talk about who you're working with, whether it's Amazon or Microsoft or IBM, you know, we always hear they have all the reason in the world to stay secure. And mainly it's because of contracts with DLA and so many other government agencies and the private sector as well. I think that plays such a big role. Discuss how you decide which cloud is right for DLA. What goes into that discussion? What goes into that process? So the first thing we look at uh, clearly is the architecture of the um, application itself, you know, to make sure we understand, you know, um, what its requirements are, type of infrastructure requirements it's going to have. The second thing we look at is is what's approved, what's available today. The third thing we look at is is can we actually do this as a software as a service offering versus, you know, having to actually still be responsible for infrastructure. So those are the litmus tests that we go through as we're deciding what's the best cloud offering that we should go after to support a particular capability. 
And I think the the last piece of that, the software as a service, is so important. So many times people are saying, well, you can't just lift and shift or you can't you have to modernize as you're moving. Does, is that part of that modernization discussion is can it be software as a service? And if so, how do we make it as software as a service versus putting, if you will, the old application just in a new hosting environment? That is a part of our application rationalization process. You know, initially, when we looked at application rationalization, it was looking at where we have duplicate applications providing the same like capabilities, you know, for our um, uh, use functional um, customers. But what we realized is, is, is even if it's a legitimate capability that they need, do we really need to buy COTS product or do we really need to worst case scenario, develop a government, you know, um, software solution, we really said, let's see if we could buy this as a service, because that's really been one of our real long-term goals is out of the whole infrastructure business altogether, and even the development of applications if we don't have to, and look at how we can buy, you know, IT capabilities as a service. So software as a service is the in-state goal that we would like to get to. So not even just moving to the cloud, but really just being able to buy as a service the capabilities that we need. We've been successful with doing that um, in the sense that we were one of the first within the Department of Defense to move to the Office 365 offering. You know, we have over 30,000, you know, um, email accounts leveraging Office 365 today. We also, in um, summer of last year, in 2018, we moved our learning management system, you know, all the online training and things that our employees have to do. We're leveraging the um, SAP's um, success factor, you know, SaaS offering that they have in the cloud today. So we are aggressively seeking and encouraging application providers to look at how they can offer those capabilities as a service. And in many ways, that is where the future of government's going, not just the learning management systems and email, but everything as a service, I think, is, is the future. And, and actually, that gives us a time to take a quick break. When we come back, we can dig deeper into application rationalization, which is a really good news story for the Defense Logistics Agency. My guest is Michelle Jacobs, the director of DLA's hosting office. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in on Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. for the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Carisoft. Learn from industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Innovation in Government examines a wide range of topics and evaluates their payoff. Cybersecurity, big data, mobility, cloud computing, and more. Innovation in Government, Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. on federalnewsnetwork.com and 1500 a.m. Search Innovation in Government. Attention, if you owe money to the IRS, this is an urgent message. The IRS is cracking down this year by sending out heart-stopping letters, aggressively garnishing paychecks, seizing bank accounts, and putting liens on homes and businesses. They call it enforced compliance. And you'd better watch out because penalties and interest on unpaid taxes compound daily, making it seem impossible to ever get out of debt. Don't let tax debt destroy your life. You need to call Optima Tax Relief, the number one tax resolution firm. They are experts in the Fresh Start Initiative, one of the biggest breaks the IRS IRS has ever offered. If you qualify, you could save thousands, even tens of thousands. Optima's resolved over a half billion dollars of tax debt for their clients. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and will fight to get you the best deal possible. Call Optima now for a free consultation. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Nothing hurts my mom, but she showed anyway. 
She'd always say, you do what you need to do to take care of yourself. But she thought that meant she had to do it on her own. We were trained to help others, but there's strength in finding help for yourself too. We're in this together. The VA Women Veterans Call Center connects veterans with personalized information on VA services that can make a difference. Call 1-855-VA-WOMEN or visit www.womenshealth.va.gov. If you enjoy fine food and wine, the folks at the Code of Support Foundation are hosting their fifth annual Toast to Our Troops Gala, Friday, April 26th at the Ronald Reagan Building here in Washington. The gala features premier wine tasting, live jazz, and a three-course dinner, prepared by celebrity chef Robert Irvine and co-MC Tommy McFly, host on the Tommy Show app. The Code of Support Foundation is a veteran support organization providing critical case coordination services to troops, veterans, and families in crisis. More at codeofsupport.org. I'm Jared Serbia. Each week, our program on DOD features discussions with the military's top brass, Smith civilian executives, and defense thinkers on how the Pentagon operates. It's reliable information from the people making and executing policy. Tune in Wednesdays at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, or subscribe to On DOD on iTunes or Podcast One. Get tipped off to the technology that powers the federal government. Federal News Network. Search Federal Tech Talk. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Michelle Jacobs, the director of the Defense Logistic Agency's hosting office. Now, Michelle, we're talking about cloud. We're talking about apps rationalization. And just before the end of the last segment, you talked about some efforts you're doing around reducing duplication, moving to the end state goal of not just cloud, but really software as a service. And I want to tag back to something you mentioned earlier about an ERP system, which is in many ways one of the hardest systems for every that we've heard across the government of, of trying to kind of get going. And then once you have it going, a lot of people don't want to touch it. But you seem to be going one step further and saying, we're not only going to rationalize applications, but we're going to move things off mainframes and into the cloud and modernize them and, and do all those things that the people you know have been talking about for years. Maybe talk a little bit about that ERP effort and moving it off mainframes and the and how it, what the end state would look like with software as a service. Today in DLA, we actually have um, two um, ERP systems that we use. One leverages the uh, SAP ERP capabilities today, and the other one is leveraged off of a mainframe technology. The mainframe technology ERP is the one that we're focused on first uh, with the intent of migrating it off a of mainframe and moving it towards an SAP model. I mentioned earlier in our conversation that uh, last summer, we initiated a pilot effort in um, Amazon Web Services with SAP, where we have provision and IS type of environment, where we're starting to gradually move modules of the warehouse management requirements that our depots have onto the SAP um, capability. So that's our first step with moving away from mainframe into ERP. Our in-state goal is to fuse both of our ERPs into one enterprise, enterprise resource planning um, capability. At the end of all of this, SAP possibly being able to actually offer this as a service. Of course, this is a journey that we're uh, venturing into with SAP. So today we're leveraging IaaS uh, and platform as a service capabilities, but the end state goal would be that we move to one ERP across the enterprise 
get off of mainframe technology and also, if at all possible, to work with SAP where they can start actually providing this as a service, as a SaaS offering, not just for DLA, but for other um, organizations that um, leverage ERP um, technology. Michelle, you bring up the move off the ERP systems from a mainframe. I think that's a common challenge a lot of CIOs face. So it's great that you guys are moving in that direction. You probably get a lot of calls now asking for more information. Let's dig deeper into apps rationalization. As you guys move forward, what other apps are you looking at? What other processes are you going down or paths you're going down to say, here are the apps we need, here are the apps we don't need, and here are the ones that can be modernized? Walk me through some of those discussions and decisions. What we have found is is that it's not just DLA having to be looking at this as a vacuum anymore. You know, the uh, Department of Defense, the Chief Management Office, is really taking the lead across the Department of Defense, and they're working on you know, rationalizing and consolidating, you know, business systems across the enterprise. Some examples that we are going to be um, taking advantage of is the task management tracking. That's something that every organization within the Department of Defense has to include DLA. And just late last year, the Department of Defense has designated the Army as the executive agent, you know, to serve as the provider uh, of that business capability across the enterprise. So it's not about us rationalizing that. It's going to be about us buying as a service that capability for task management through the Army. Another example um, that the department is working on right now is looking at the personnel management systems, you know, that are out there, uh, the defense travel system. Those are systems that, you know, we all leverage, or in some cases with the personnel management, we all have our own. And the chief management office is, again, looking across the enterprise to find the uh, best a breed solution that we all can take advantage of. So outside of us doing our internal application rationalization, you know, we're also looking at how we can leverage capabilities that are going to be offered, you know, for the enterprise, you know, um, at the DOD level. And of course, that's just another name for shared services. And that's a that's an area that I know that the Trump administration and OMB have really been pushing agencies to look at. And, and there's a ton of cost savings there, too. Let's start there with the benefits of this move to the cloud, this apps rationalization effort. It's cost savings, but it's more than that. But maybe start with the cost savings. Are you starting to already see some benefit in terms of monetary savings? We've been tracking over the last um, four years, three to four years that we've been at this. And to date, you know, we've seen a gross savings of about $85 million. Of course, that's not accounting for the cost that it takes to migrate, but we've grossed about $85 million in savings um, to date. And are you able to take some of that money and repurpose it within DLA, move it into other mission areas, or is that just more of a cost avoidance saying, if we would have gone down this path, we would have spent this much money to for an operations and maintenance and updates? No, it- been cost savings because, you know, a lot of our applications that we're migrating um, were current, were originally being hosted in the traditional DISA hosting. And because, you know, the cost for that of um, computing services is extremely expensive, you know, by making the decision to migrate away from that, you know, has definitely been savings, which has allowed us to reinvest in opportunities like what we're doing with the um, ERP pilot, you know, uh, uh, with SAP and um, AWS. So there has been some avoidance, but there's also been actual savings. Cost of uh, CPU, RAM, and storage has definitely decreased from what we were originally paying prior to migrating those systems to um, the cloud. 
again, another really good news story because so many agencies are facing the same thing. And obviously, the administration is really focusing on uh, agencies modernizing, using that money that they're saving and putting it towards something else. And here we have a real life example. So I, th- I think that's an, an excellent case. Beyond cost savings, there's other benefits too, whether it's better services or better cybersecurity or other things. Walk me through some of the other benefits you guys are seeing as well. I think some of the benefits that we've seen with um, migrating to the cloud, as you just mentioned, you know, I think the cybersecurity um, is is a big one, you know, because we will never be able to invest in the cybersecurity tools that are necessary to stay in front of, um, you know, the um, enemy that's always trying to attack our environments. Um, so cybersecurity is one of the big ones. But the other one is is the ability to only pay for what you need when you need it, you know, versus having to um, invest in, you know, the amount of uh, CPU, RAM, and storage that you're going to need for the worst case, you know, um, uh, use of a uh, system versus being able to just surge when you need to and then be able to uh, to go back down and only pay for what you need that time. So those have been two big ones, but also the ability to be able to really take advantage of the ability that the um, commercial cloud providers have in the fact that they can quickly, you know, provide additional capabilities for the ability to you um, for us to do our data lakes, our uh, enterprise data warehousing, you know, initiatives, um, the ability to take advantage of artificial um, intelligence, machine learning, and things like that. We just simply uh, would never be able to invest in the amount of uh, computing power that we would need, you know, if we tried to do this um, on-prem. So moving to the cloud really opens up a lot of doors for us with, to be able to really take advantage of the Internet of Things and, you know, things like machine learning and artificial intelligence that we're all talking about now. I think the other big one that the movement to the cloud allows us to do is to really take advantage of, you know, uh, the development security operations, most people call that DevSecOps, you know, because Things are so much more automated in the commercial cloud world that it allows the developers to to do things in a much more agile way, not just with their processes, but actually to be able to automate the movement of that code from a development environment all the way up to actually delivering the capability um, to the um, end user. So those are just some of the advantages that we see already with our movement to the cloud. Let me back up on one of those, specifically the pay-for-what-you-need model. How has DLA dealt with that issue? Because one of the challenges a lot of agencies face is this idea of, well, we get our appropriations up front, and the appropriations say we have, you know, pick a number, $1 million. And if we go to $1 million and $1, we have a big, big problem. And if we only spend 990000 we lose that other 10000 so to speak. So how, are we, how have you guys kind of initiated that pay-by-the-drink model? That is tricky, you know, with being able to make sure that you can take advantage of paying as you go at the same time, making sure you stay compliant with the rules of engagement. Now, DLA is a defense working capital fund organization, so our dollars are a little different, you know, than um, appropriated types of dollars. But even with us, we have to make sure that, you know, we budget based on what we know you know, our um, uh, available uh, funding is going to be for the year. So we have had to really get smart about, you know, making sure we provision, making sure we truly are taking advantage of pay-as-you-go by, you know, developing scripts that, you know, actually, you know, um, turn systems off, you know, at a certain time of the day, you know, at night, especially in your test and development environments and your staging type of environments. You don't need to keep those systems running, you know, all the time. But I think that we don't probably face 
as much of the concern as you know, the appropriated type of organizations do because um you know we're a fee for service organization which we you know can work those things a little bit differently and as the director of the hosting office you also see when there's a surge is needed and i'm sure a lot of that comes with uh, the buying season or it comes with certain part, times of the year when duty needs specific parts or needs something are there some patterns that you can kind of expect uh, expect to happen where you say okay in february we're going to need to add another server or in july we know that's going to be a busy time so we need to add five more servers do you already know those things and can plan for those increasing capabilities? We do, but I would tell you that that is one of the areas that I'm finding that we're having to really work with our programs to make sure that they think about these things in advance as we are provisioning you know, their architecture for them um, so that you can actually program and write scripts so that it automatically knows that you're gonna need more computing power this time of the month or this time of the year. But these are the things that when folks move to the commercial cloud, that you know the way application developers design their apps, they have to design them in a different way so that you can take advantage of the, the pay-as-you-go model. If the application isn't designed in a way where it will you know, um, be able to handle the surge and the decrease of um, computing power, RAM, and storage, then that's not a good model. So, But we are able to uh, work with the teams work, talk with them, make sure they understand, you know, what the possibilities are, get a better understanding of when they need to surge in, you know, um, capacity certain times of the month of the year, and to make sure that we design, you know, their migration into the cloud with that in mind. And that's a great segue to the DevOps piece that you mentioned as another side benefit of moving to the cloud, the ability to upgrade and improve upon your applications as uh, kind of a continuous environment. And that also get, probably gets worked in to that planning stage is, okay, we know we expect something to happen in June. Let's start, you know, get let's start ramping up for that, that, that big push in June. Talk a little bit about the DevOps approach too. How's that benefiting DLA to deal with these surges or, or even for, for other reasons? Well, DevSecOps is not something that we initially uh, went into um, the whole moving to the cloud um, and with an understanding of what the possibilities were there. That is something that we have recently been working closely with the um, Acquisition and Sustainment Office, our high headquarters, over at um, the Pentagon to help us to get more educated. I think in our case, we're going to find that we're going to probably have to re- do some things that we've done so that we can take full advantage of um, DevSecOps. So we're we're in the infancy stage right now of, of really understanding how we can take advantage of it. All right, something to maybe follow up with you in the next year or so. Michelle, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can uh, continue our conversation. My guest is Michelle Jacobs, the director of the Defense Logistic Agency's hosting office. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. The IRS finally caught up with Louie. I hadn't paid my taxes in eight years. I owed the IRS a lot of money. Louie was in deep trouble. We're going to take your house, put a lien on your bank account, uh, garnish your pay. They don't care. They're going to take your paycheck. Louie found out about Optima Tax Relief, the leading tax resolution firm. A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau, they've resolved over a half billion dollars for their clients. Optima Tax, they helped me. They calmed me down. They made me feel comfortable, and I trust them. Louie has a lot to be thankful for. I don't owe the IRS anymore, and I'm able to live a 
comfortable life, <laughs> a lot better life. It was because of Optimal Tax. For tax help you can trust, call Optima now for a free consultation. Take it from Louie. If you owe the IRS, don't go it alone. Give Optimal Tax a call. They can help you. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Tax Relief. Testimonial from an actual client. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. Defending agency information assets in today's threat environment is a daunting task. How to proceed? Age-old advice applies. Focus on the fundamentals. And keeping an eye on cybersecurity fundamentals is mission one for Fortinet Federal. Frequently recognized for security effectiveness by independent authorities, Fortinet provides agencies with seamless, high-speed, integrated, and intelligently automated security solutions. Trust Fortinet Federal to advance the science of cybersecurity in your agency. Learn more at FortinetFederal.com. Do you want another truck or a truck like no other? How about deals on that truck during Ram Truck Month? A truck with an available touchscreen that stretches an entire foot. A truck that has capabilities that don't exist in any other truck in its class, like available air suspension. Heck, Motor Trend's 2019 Truck of the Year truck. Do you want a truck that's not only about towing and hauling and payload capability, but a truck that stretches every ability? It's the all-new Ram 1500. Come in now during Ram Truck Month for deals like no other. Now, well-qualified returning FCA lessees get a low-mileage lease on the 2019 Ram 1500 Classic Express Quad Cab 4x4 with a V6 engine for $199 a month for 24 months with $3,699 due at signing. Tax title license extra. Class-based on light-duty pickups. Call 1-877-RAM-5722 for details. Requires dealer contribution to lease through Ally Financial. Current lease must end by 331.20. 20 cent charge for each mile over 20,000. Residency restrictions apply. Take delivery by 4-1. Wisdom served daily. Experience the difference of the journalists at Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today, Michelle Jacobs, the director of the Defense Logistic Agency's hosting office. Michelle, this has been a great conversation so far, talking about cloud and apps rationalization. The other leg to this three-legged stool of effort is data centers, optimization, and consolidation. That's another area where DLA has spent a lot of time. Let me know more about what you guys are doing to consolidate and optimize your data centers. And eventually, I can only imagine getting rid of either all of them or most of them. So when we first started down this road, initially we were just, let's move applications to the cloud. But what we quickly discovered is that we were migrating applications, but we weren't shrinking our data center footprint. So we decided to take a step back and we decided to focus on the applications in a specific data center as our model. And that really has allowed us to really pick up the pace with actually closing data centers. When we Road, we had 23 operational data centers, you know, business systems, you know, that were being supported out of those centers. We are now, I'm happy to say, we have closed um, 14 of the 23 data centers that we have because we realized that we really needed to not just migrate applications for the sake of migrating applications, but to migrate them with the end state goal being to close a data center. And so once we changed our model, it allowed us to really get focused and to make sure that we were meeting, you know, the mandates that we have from the DOD, CIO, and others, and OMB to actually close data centers. And when you talk about changing your approach, what does that mean? Because was it a bunch of one-offs, or was it, okay, here's the data center we're gonna we're gonna target, and then we're gonna migrate all those apps, and then close it down, and then move on? Discuss that approach. What we realized is, is you know, like when most data centers, you know, you're 
you share environments, right? You may have multiple applications that are leveraging the uh, the servers and hardware that that data center is providing. So just because I was migrating one application really didn't mean that I got to actually decommission a server and do any cost avoidance or savings there. So once we realized that by focusing in on the data center and focusing on all of those applications within that data center, that meant that we were actually going to be able to start turning things off because before we were not turning anything off because we would still have a couple of um, applications that would still be running, you know, on that hardware. And so you had to keep it running. You had to keep paying maintenance for it, you know, and, and patching it and everything else. So that's what I mean by when we shifted our focus from just looking at an application versus looking at the data center and looking at everything that we needed to actually get decommissioned or, you know, rehosted somewhere else so that we could declare victory with, you know, with um, closing it. Is the end goal to get down to one or two data centers or zero data centers? What has DLA decided? So we've evolved. Initially, our goal was to um, land with two enduring data centers, but we have actually evolved away from that because there's just so many more options available for us for, you know, buying as a service or hosting, you know, in a cloud. So our goal now is to actually close all of our data centers. And from a timing standpoint, do you think that's going to happen in 2019, 2020? How much longer do you think it will take? So right now we are, you know, we've um, put the mark on the wall for ourselves to have it all completed by 2020. All right. So it's a lot of work for you on your end because being the director of hosting, you're dealing with both sides of the coin, I imagine, both the data center side but also the cloud side. What does that mean for your office and, and what is that? what kind of change will that eventually mean? Do you know yet? Well, it, you're right. It puts a lot of responsibility on uh, my office's um, shoulders. Um, we, you know, we have to, you know, make sure we continue to the team across the finish line, as I like to say. But that's why we were stood up. Uh, we were stood up to actually help the um, agency focus on hosting from an enterprise perspective, to get data centers closed, and to be able to take advantage of all of the new capabilities, you know, that exist out there today. And they continue to, we continue to evolve ourselves. So there's a lot of work to be done, but, you know, we're up to the task, you know, to make it happen. And I imagine that the success just breeds more success. I mean, as you closed 14 of 23 data centers, as you've moved more and more applications to the cloud, that gives you that kind of confidence to say, hey, we can do this and look at the success we're having and look at the benefits we're receiving. And does that also trickle down into the workforce, into your customers, that they're seeing this change that that's all for the good so far? I think because of the success that we've been having um, within DLA that we're finding that more and more of our um, partners across the Department of Defense, you know, look to us, you know, to provide, you know, uh, recommendations, our lessons learned. Um, but at the same time, you know, we've had to also make sure that we think about the impact on our workforce, you know, as we have um, been heading down this journey that we're on with movement to the cloud, closing data centers and the like. We've had to rethink about, you know, um, know what other new skill sets that our workforce are going to need to have as we move into the cloud you know I talked a little bit earlier you know we want to move into machine learning we want to move into artificial intelligence Um, the other big piece of this is to make sure that we understand that you need a different kind of skill set you know to understand the infrastructure capabilities that the cloud providers are offering so that they can advise the application um, development group as to what is the best 
you know, type of um, services they should be looking to try to um, take advantage of from the cloud provider. So I think in the commercial world, they've coined the term a service delivery manager. It's like a new skill set that's being developed um, for folks as they move to the commercial cloud, meaning you no longer are looking at system administrators and database administrators, but you still need folks with that type of talent to be able to be the advisors for the application um, development community as they try to take advantage of the capabilities of the cloud. So success does breed success, but it also brings on new challenges that you have to be concerned about. What does it mean for your office as well? Have you had to relook at your approach to hiring, your approach to training, or even the organization of your office? Well, absolutely. For me, I've had, my responsibility is to make sure that since we're supposed to be the advisors for the rest of the DLA um, community as it relates to hosting, that we constantly have to make sure that we keep our own skill sets, you know, um, current. You know, I've uh, made sure that I've um, taken time to, you know, actually, you know, do a field trip with my team out to an actual commercial cloud providers data center so they could actually see for themselves, you know, the capabilities of a modern day, you know, commercial data center as compared to the data centers that we're all used to, to understand, you know, from a physical security perspective to the automated tools that they're leveraging within that um, commercial facility. So big responsibility uh, for me and my team. But at the end of the day, we're project managers. We're managing projects for the agency. So when we're successful with this, we will move on and we will serve as project managers supporting other efforts across the DLA. Has workforce morale or at least have you had to deal with anyone getting frustrated over this change? Because moving things to the cloud means, wait a minute, I can't hug my server. I can't look at the blinking lights and my job is changing. I don't want to be a program manager. I want to be a systems administrator. Have you had to deal with some of those change or have or the opposite of people have been pretty open knowing they can see the, if you will, read the tea leaves and say, hey, life everywhere for all technology is changing and, and they have to change too. I would have to say all of the above. I think that we have, you know, like with anything, there are those people that will quickly be excited about new opportunities in the future. And there are those that are going to fight you to the bitter end, you know, because they don't like change. And so we've had to deal with both. But I would say when I look at where we were when we started this journey back in late 2012 to 2013 to where we are today, I would say that when we started this journey, we would find that folks were still turning on new servers, new databases and things. But today, I'm happy to say that SAs and DBAs will say you need to contact the hosting office before I'm going to turn on any new server for you application development team. So that is a huge, you know, uh, change in they're on board with us, they understand the vision, and they're not scared and they're not worried about what's going to happen to me as we go on this journey because they're also getting the opportunity to actually use modern technology. You know, today we're still doing a lot of infrastructure as a service kind of um, hosting. So you still need your SAs and DBAs, but the technology that they're able to leverage to perform their mission is just so much better than what they were able to um, have in the current data centers that we have in here. So they're on the journey with us at this point. That is an excellent story because part of getting change 
really to, to change the culture that we always hear about technology is to get the people at the ground level to say the word no or wait or hold on or let's ask the bigger question. If they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll turn that on for you. Oh, I forgot. They tell you or, oh, all of a sudden you have this. And, and the common term is shadow IT. That leads to, to so many other challenges. What's the next step to get? Okay, so you have your database managers and your systems administrators on, on, on quote unquote, on your side. How do you get the mission folks? What's, what's, what's the next education or the next step to get them to ask those same questions of you guys? Hey, can I put this in the cloud? Or, hey, what would be the best approach to this new application or to upgrade this old application? Are, are those conversations, how do, how do you get the mission side to ask those questions? Right. So absolutely. So my office has had to actually bring two groups along on this journey with us. the Your infrastructure um, community with your assistant administrators, database administrators, and your networking folks. But at the same time, we've also had to bring our um, systems um, development folks, our application development program managers and their technical staff on this journey with us. When we first started down this road, they would all go off and they would have their um, discussions with um, in industry vendors and they would, in some cases, potentially maybe let a contract and thought that tomorrow they would be in the cloud. But they quickly realized that they really have to make sure that they um, include my team from start to finish so that we can make sure that, number one, they're selecting, you know, uh, capabilities that we have been authorized to actually, you know, leverage and move to the cloud. And number two, that the earlier that we're all working as a team, the quicker we can get to the end state goal of delivering that new capability that they want. And the other one that we learned um, very early on is, is it's important that your cybersecurity folks are involved in this with you from the start. Um, from the perspective of even at the point of, you know, sponsoring a vendor, you know, to go through the uh, FedRAMP process so they can get their approval for us to actually be able to leverage them as a provider. What we learned very early on is is when you have your cybersecurity um, ISSOs, ISSMs that are actually partnering with um, the folks that have to do the assessments, they learn the architecture of the cloud provider capabilities. They understand what all of their controls are. So they're comfortable right up front with knowing that the security controls that need to be there are going to be there, you know, for that capability before we actually, you know, start actually using it. So those are things that we've learned that you have to make sure that your um, infrastructure workforce is comfortable, your application developers see the the benefit of including you early on in their um, process when they're looking at, you know, new capabilities or new ways to provide a capability to their customers and also the cybersecurity team have to be on this journey with you right out the gate. All right, great advice, and I think that's something that uh, so many agencies are starting to learn. Michelle, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can finish up our conversation. My guest is Michelle Jacobs, the director of DLA's hosting office. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. This is Scott Massioni. Follow me for the latest news critical to the defense community on Twitter at WFED. S-M-A-U-C-I-O-N-E-W-F-E-D. What is the Senior Executives Association? How does it seek to build a leadership pipeline for U.S. federal agencies? Join host Michael Keegan from the 2019 American Society for Public Administration Annual Conference as he explores these questions and more with Bill Valdez, President of Senior Executives Association. The Business of Government Hour, every Monday at 11 on Federal News Network. 
Hello, this is John Gilroy from Federal Tech Talk. Did you know that according to Rob Walsh at Libsyn, the average podcast gets only 141 downloads in the first 30 days? This gets podcasters frustrated and they quit. There's even a term for it, pod fade. If you would like to drastically increase your downloads, then I can help. Simply go to howtopromotepodcast.com and get the free cheat sheet listing seven proven ways to promote your podcast. Don't suffer from the mysterious malady called pod fade. Hi, I'm Raymond Denon, Vice President of Optima Tax Relief. You don't want to mess with the IRS. They have the power to garnish your paycheck, levy your bank accounts, and even take your home or business. That's all true. But thankfully, they're offering a way out, the Fresh Start Initiative. If you qualify, it could save you thousands. We're the experts at Optima Tax Relief. We will fight to get you the best possible tax settlement. Call 800-354-2840. 800-354-2840. Optima Tax Relief. Hi, this is Derek T. Dortch, host of Fed Access. My show covers a lot of ground for current and future Feds. Career advice to transitioning from military to civilian roles. We talk contracting for small and medium-sized businesses, veteran issues, and national security challenges from counterterrorism to defending against cyber attacks. Fed Access with Derek T. Dortch, Monday afternoons at 1 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, or subscribe to Fed Access on iTunes or Podcast One. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Michelle Jacobs, the director of the Defense Logistic Agency's hosting office. Michelle, this has just been a fascinating conversation about cloud, about app rationalization, about data center optimization and consolidation. A lot of things going on around DLA. Before we, we finish up, as we finish up our conversation, I want to touch upon the fact that DLA is is out in front of a lot of the military services and defense agencies and using to using the cloud, moving apps to the cloud, uh, moving to that software as a service model. So when it comes to best practices and sharing them and learning from others across DOD, give me a sense of how DLA is is ensuring that the, your lessons are being you know shared and then you're taking in lessons from others, whether it's in the military or even the civilian world or just the private sector. So my office, um, we, the way we make sure that we um, stay connected with the greater um, um, Department of Defense is um, through my office um, and also through our program executive office, um, where we participate in a lot of, um, you know, monthly um, um, forums that the DOD CIO sponsors, you know, uh, Defense Information Systems Agency, you know, who is the senior IT organization for the DOD. They offer a lot of mission partner engagement forums that we participate in. You know, I've been asked on several occasions to, you know, participate in panels, to share lessons learned, you know, to be keynote speakers, you know, to share lessons learned. Um, I'm constantly making sure that I link my technical um, SMEs up with anyone across the DOD, you know, that's um, trying to do something that we've already been successful with, you know, to make sure that, you know, um, they don't, they they take our lessons learned and do better than we did, you know, right out the gate. Um, Also, um, you know, there is a huge effort on the way with the um, Fourth Estate, um, you know, initiative where we are, you know, key players in with helping to make sure that we meet the intent of the um, consolidation of the fourth estate, you know, around commodity IT services. Um, and so lots of opportunity to share across the department. Um, but it's not just the department that we're sharing with. Um, I have been contacted by um, the Veterans Administration, you know, um, to speak with them and to share uh, lessons learned. 
things we're doing. So, you know, we're here to support across the federal government, you know, um, as we all look to meet the mandates, you know, of the administration, um, you know, to make sure that we cloud first and also consolidation of data centers and, you know, um, streamline our IT um, capabilities. Both uh, cloud first and, of course, cloud smart. Don't forget about that latest mandate. That's another one that's uh, absolutely we'll, we'll hit upon. <laughs> one of the things you mentioned that stood out to me is is you know going to these executive forums and and um, in the different sessions. But because DLA is, is is maybe ahead of a lot of other agencies, is there one or two things that you'd point to that says here is a pothole or a roadblock or an obstacle you should be aware of that you should avoid at, at all costs? And anything stand out to you? I think the biggest one is what I just touched on a little uh, a little bit ago is the whole cybersecurity aspect of this. Um, if you're willing to invest resources, you know, and partner with um, the Defense Information Systems Agency as they're going through these assessments of a vendor, you know, for them to get approval for us to leverage their cloud offering, I think that's where you gain the the biggest bang for your buck, especially, you know, around the concerns that folks have with moving to the cloud from a security perspective. If you have your cybersecurity um, team involved from the start, it really, you know, diffuses a lot of the myths that are out there about, you know, the security in the cloud and things like that. I think that's the biggest one. And I think the second one that I would say is um, understanding that it is a journey. Um, be very smart about how many different cloud providers you leverage, you know, um, because there still is a cybersecurity responsibility, you know, even when you move things to the cloud. So be smart about, you know, how you leverage the cloud. All right, good advice, good advice. And uh, before I let you go, I got to ask my question about vendors. I know a lot of vendors listen to my program. Uh, what's your advice to them? How should they work with DLA as you guys move more to the cloud and move more apps uh, to to the software as a service model? I would say that we've been very um, um, successful with our vendor relations. In fact, we could not have done what we've done to date without the vendors that um, currently support us as we've been going through this journey. But as new capabilities continue to be available, uh, we're always asking, you know, vendors to come and talk to us, you know, help educate us, help us to understand, you know, how the products or the services that they offer, you know, can assist us with um continuing to meet, you know, our um, intent of, you know, leveraging as a service and moving to the cloud. Um, so that's what I would say. You know, we're open. You know, we've been very um, willing to partner with industry, and we want to continue to be able to do that. Do you guys hold industry days, or do you guys are, have anything planned in the near future? We do hold industry days. We don't have one um, currently um, set on the calendar for 19 yet, but yes, DLA does sponsor um, um, industry days, You know, not just on the logistics side, but we actually do specific IT industry days um, also. We normally try to do them at least um, once annually. All right, something to, else to look out for in the coming uh, weeks and months. And, and uh, you know, Michelle, this has just been a fascinating conversation. I really do appreciate your time. So let me thank my guest. Michelle Jacobs is the Defense Logistics Agency's Director of the Hosting Office. Michelle, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.